financially strong Latina. We are thrilled, honored, and everything in between that you are joining us today. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Bienvenidas. Welcome back for another session and the final session of Financially Strong Latina. The past few weeks have been phenomenal. We've learned a lot. It's been really exciting. So I'm excited to have you here today. And Veronica, welcome back. You've been such a phenomenal MC throughout this event. And even before the event, we've had so much fun. So welcome once again. Thank you so much, Jen. It's been the honor and privilege of my life so far, career achievement to date, uh, to be the MC with you these last three nights during these sessions and on your Instagram live. I hope you'll have me back someday. <laughs> Absolutely. We had so much fun. Yes, I had a blast. I always have fun with you. Really excited to get this night started. I just want to start with some comments about AARP's interview and advisor tool, especially because tonight we're going to be talking about creating financial stability. And I just wanted to share some facts and some AARP research. AARP research has found that many investors manage multiple accounts across financial institutions and are likely to seek financial guidance at some point from a financial professional. And so what does this mean? And what does this tell AARP? Consumers are looking for trusted information about how to choose the right financial professional for them. If you are like me, you may be getting outreach from many different folks who maybe are working in the financial advising space. And before I met Jen, I didn't even know there was someone who was a certified financial counselor, which is amazing. I don't currently have a financial advisor. I'll admit that. And so when I'm looking around and trying to find someone who can help me with this and the topics that we've been discussing over the last three nights, I find myself that I have limited knowledge about fees, about expenses, about other charges that I may have to pay to manage any investments if I want to get started with that. A large majority of investors, folks who are currently investing, they're not familiar with new regulations that might impact financial professional services. An interview and advisor is a tool that will guide you to ask the right questions when considering professional financial advice. So the AARP interview and advisor tool makes it easy for us to choose a financial professional to help us plan our future. And I just want to highlight that this new tool has really key features. It has the gold standard designation that lists the top qualities for financial professionals and what they should possess. It's also an interactive experience, so I can go in there and use an easy checklist of questions to ask before and during a meeting with a potential financial advisor. That information can help us as consumers understand the differences between the two primary categories of investment professionals and the range of services that each can provide. I really hope and encourage you to check out AARP's interview and advisor tool 
You can find it at aarp.org slash interview and advisor. This tool is free to anyone and available for your smartphone, tablet, or computer. I hope that this tool will help you feel more confident and informed when you're choosing a financial professional. So thanks for the opportunity to talk a little bit about interview and advisor before we get started with creating financial stability. I'm going to go ahead and interview our distinguished speakers. I'm really excited to introduce Camilo Maldonado, who is a personal financial expert and the co-founder and chief executive officer of The Finance Twins, a leading personal finance website. Camilo speaks, writes, and teaches about a broad range of personal finance topics with an emphasis on helping first-generation investors get started. Camilo is a senior contributor in personal finance for Forbes.com and holds an MBA from Harvard University and a BSE in finance from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. He started his career in New York City as an investment banking analyst at J.P. Morgan Chase & Company before hanging up his suits and ties to join an e-commerce startup. Welcome, Camilo. Next, we have Ana N.J. Kante. She's a passionate believer in the empowerment of women and underrepresented communities of color in America. She is the founder of Dare to Dream Financial Planning, a fee-only virtual financial planning firm that serves the needs of women of color who want to live boldly and make a lasting impact on their family tree. She's also the host of First Gen Realness Podcast. She's a native New Yorker, lover of everything related to food, the Gambia Latino history, West African culture, and literature. And then we have Mabel, the founder of Girls on the Money, a stock market investing education company targeted to women and individuals underrepresented in the world of investing. She is passionate about helping women feel more confident around money and empowering them to create wealth, which is a perfect fit for financially strong Latinas. Mabel teaches highly rated courses centered on stock market investing and is also the author of two best-selling books on the topic. And then finally, a dear friend of mine, Jerry Madrid Davis, is joining us for this panel. Jerry Madrid Davis works to advance AARP's legislative, regulatory, and legal advocacy in the areas of retirement, consumer and asset protection, financial security, livable communities, utilities, and telecommunications as well as state budgets and revenue and a variety of other issues. Formerly, Ms. Madrid Davis was the first executive director of the National Public Pension Coalition, leading NPPC's efforts to secure and protect the defined benefit pension plans of public employees across the country. Ms. Madrid Davis currently serves as the board chair for the National Institute of Retirement Security. And she's earned undergraduate degrees in anthropology and women's studies at Metropolitan State University of Denver and completed her Master of Arts in Public Affairs coursework at the Hubert H. Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs at the University of Minnesota. Welcome to all our speakers. Let's get started with this amazing session. Bienvenidos, Camilo, 
Anna, Mabel, and Jerry. I am so thrilled to have you at Financially Strong Latina. And we are going to have such an amazing conversation. I'm already feeling it because I know your expertise. I know your skill. I know your talent. So I know you're ready to bring it. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so welcome. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to start out with, because as you know, this is called Financially Strong Latina. So I want you to each tell us a little bit about your journey as a Latino and the main lesson that you learned. So let's start with you, Jerry. Well, thank you for starting with me. Let me say this. I was raised with two great parents, first person in my household to go to college, and I always wanted to be able to do what my parents did, which was provide for us in a way where we never felt as though we were not able to have the things that we needed and or wanted. And I know that my parents made many sacrifices for us. And as a parent today, I realize even more all of the sacrifices they made so we could have what we needed. And I try now to, you know, drive my kids towards savings and being responsible with the resources that they either earn or are given. And I really do think the biggest lesson I've learned is save, 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 reduce your debt, reduce your debt. The, my key takeaways from my own experience. Thank you. Same question for you, Camilo. Well, thank you so much for having me. My journey began when I came to the U.S. when I was four years old from Bogota, Colombia, where I was born. And my parents, when I was little, they worked kind of like entry-level jobs at hotels. My dad was a janitor and my mom worked at a front desk. And they were kind of like making their American dream happen and everything was amazing. But when I was seven years old, my dad passed away from cancer. And as a result, my mom kind of always struggled financially because they went from dual income household to single and she's an immigrant and it's really hard, but she always instilled in me the importance of education. So I always worked really hard in school and she always made sure to go to my conferences, to meet with my teachers and stuff. And the lesson there was kind of like around hard work and dedication. And when you're 10 years old and you're thinking about college, that's a goal that's eight years away, but slowly working towards it every single year. And that was the biggest reason why I'm able to be here with you guys and share the things I've learned is because of that focus on education and being able to overcome the curveballs that we all really face throughout our lives. And I know I've had you on the podcast and I've heard personally that story. And each time I hear it, it always touches me because I'm always amazed with you, your twin brother and your mom as well. So thank you for sharing that. Now, Mabel, how about you? Same question. Hola, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you, Jen, and everyone that's in attendance. I am Dominicana. I was born in the Dominican Republic and I moved to the States when I was nine years old. I moved to the Bronx in New York. I went to public schools in the Bronx, and then I went away to college. I feel that growing up, my parents did an amazing job, especially my dad, just teaching me like the basics of personal finance. It's always been very strict about save money and don't overspend on credit cards. So I'm grateful that from a young age, I did learn the basics. But then when I got to college as a senior, I discovered the stock market, and I became just like blown away by the fact that the average person, anybody with some income can grow wealth through stock investing. So that's when I became obsessed about it. And I guess the main lesson that I've learned over the years since then is the importance of investing. And more than that, just learning how to do it the smart way, not the gambling way, but like the smart, legit investing. 
And that's what I try to like, share with my audience and everybody else. But I will say that that will be the number one lesson that I've learned over time. Thank you. And I've seen you teach. I've seen you do such an amazing job. And I'm thankful you're here. Now, Ana, the same with you. We want to learn about you, your financial journey as a Latina, and the main lesson that you have learned. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. Any opportunity I have to speak to our community makes me so happy. I grew up, my mom is from Puerto Rico. I grew up in New York, like Mabel. And my experience growing up was really about working hard. But then also in terms of money, it was a lot of financial anxiety and stress. My family didn't necessarily have a good handle on how to invest and save. And I think they were just trying to figure everything out. And for me, it was really once I became an adult that I discovered investing and I discovered all of these financial planning principles that I try to teach people, either my clients or people through you know social media platforms and my blog to really give them the tools that I wish I had learned earlier. And I wish that people like me would have had earlier. And I think it would make a very material difference for them. It was a lot of work. And you and I have talked a lot about money mindset and really shifting that. And that's been a long journey for myself. But I can say I've come from the, we're always going to be broke, somos pobre, we don't have any money to like doing better and feeling more abundant and in control of your finances. Now, these past few weeks, we've been building up. The first session, we talked about what it takes to be financially strong. Then the last session, we talked about more of mindsets and managing our money. And we're going to continue to build on today in terms of how to create financial stability. What does this look like? And how exactly do we go about doing it? Let's start with you, Anna. Tell us about, I know it's a broad question, but how do we create financial stability? I think it really just boils down to putting your financial health and financial wellness first. So for me, I think paying yourself first is the best thing you can do. And that's not necessarily always about saving or investing. It can be a lot of different things. It can be paying down debt. It can be putting money towards your emergency fund, saving for your kids' college, saving for your own retirement, whatever it may be, saving for a down payment on a house, but really ensuring that you're setting your life up where you can prioritize those short, medium, and long-term goals. And then you kind of just live your life with the rest of it, right? But ensuring that that's done first versus how I think a lot of times we're taught, you save what's left over. If you have enough money left at the end of the month, you can put it aside for whatever that may be. And I really like people to flip that over because I think over time, that really adds up to substantial progress that you can make. Love it. And Jerry, you've done amazing work at AARP as a chair of NIRS, which is the National Institute on Retirement Security. So I know you bring in a different perspective as to what maybe you've seen in terms of people either creating financial stability or not, or what they're lacking. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. And I think the work that both organizations have done, particularly the work at AARP, We see folks at all stages of life and at all income levels and all education levels. And I do think that we've done great work for folks who have means and trying to figure out how to spend down those means in their older years, how to make sure that money helps the rest of their family, for example, 
We've done quite a bit of work on retirement with both organizations. And again, my advice in that realm is it's always important if you can find an employer that offers a retirement savings plan and you're looking at two employers, I would always say pick the one with the retirement savings plan because you want something where you're contributing and they're contributing. I'm lucky enough to work at a place where we have lots of different savings vehicles made available to employees. So it takes the guesswork out of walking into the credit union or walking into a bank. Emergency savings is something new we just started doing and trying to be a member of the team. I said, let me try this too. It wasn't necessarily the target audience, but it was amazing to be able to put a little bit of money in this side card that's an emergency savings card and just know that when I dropped my daughter off at college, she needed a few extra things. We hadn't budgeted for them. I could just pull that out and say, hey, this isn't a credit card. This isn't you know, money I'm borrowing from a different bill. This is just here because I've set it aside intentionally. And the one thing I noticed from what everybody said is we all talked about how much money is tied to our emotions, how much anxiety comes from concerns about not having that control, not being able to make those choices. So I do think, you know, most of my experience is in issues related to retirement security and making sure you can take care of your desires and your wants and needs in your older life. But really that starts very early with saving for retirement and saving for emergencies, for a home, for college, all of those things. And so I generally try to help folks put it into the mix. The sooner you save for retirement, the less money you have to save in that pot. And so my own kids, I thought I'd done a great job in parenting when my kids said, I want to work for somebody who has a pension. I said, job well done, mom. (laughs) It's harder and harder to find a place with the pension. But again, trying to build that knowledge in folks early that employers put money on the table in retirement and you should never leave any of those dollars on the table. You should always take them. I'm just curious, are you finding a lot of people not take advantage? Maybe, I don't know if you can speak to the Latino community. I can absolutely speak to that. So one of the things that we've been highly involved with at AARP is trying to get folks in the private sector who don't have a way to save at work, saving for Mm -hmm. retirement. And at AARP, we call it work and save. In California, they call it Cal Savers. In Illinois, it goes by another name. But we've really been, I think, instrumental in helping states stand up these programs, which are designed for smaller employers primarily. And when we did the demographics across the country and looked at who's not saving, part of the reason I'm so passionate about retirement savings is because the people who are being left behind look just like me. Generally, the folks who aren't saving for retirement tend to have lesser educational attainment, work for smaller employers, work in jobs where they make less money than others. They tend to be Latinx, African-American, Asian, and women. And so again, the more I can do in my job, whether it's at ARP or whether it's with the National Institute on Retirement Security, which tries to spread the good news that is happening with retirement savings in the country, the more I think I am absolutely helping the next generation of Latinx folks be, again, financially stable and secure as they get older. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing because it's necessary. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Camilo, what does it take to create financial stability? I think the most important thing is that it comes down to having a plan. 
So when you're working, let's say you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're always behind it. You're always working so that you can pay off a bill. It can always feel like, well, why should I budget or why do I need a plan? Those things are for people who, who already have a lot of money. And I think a plan has two things that are so important. The first one is that without a plan, you're never really going to reach your goals, right? So just planning in general just makes you so much more likely to get where you want to be. But the second part of it is kind of like the psychological component that Jerry was talking about, where it helps you feel like you're in so much more control. Even if you're only able to save $50 a month or something, you start small, but just knowing the plan and being ready for surprises and stuff, I think to me, that gives you so much financial stability and gives you this strong foundation that you can start to plan and build kind of your financial life around. And it really comes down to sitting down and creating goals for yourself and creating a plan and a vision and building and working towards that dream life that you, that we all want. We all want that. No one wants to feel afraid because they don't have money. And, you know, someone touched on this, but stress is the number one cause of stress for Americans in general. And having lived through it, I think it's for Latinos as well. And I think being able to say like, look, anyone can have a plan. Anyone, everyone needs to have a plan. I think that can really set you up for financial stability in such a big and important way. Thank you. And Mabel, how about you? What is your vision in terms of how to create financial stability? Yeah, I agree with what everyone said. Amazing points. In terms of what Camilo just said about setting up a strong foundation, I think that's key to build financial stability. And by that, I will mean like three specific things. One is high interest rate credit card debt that a lot of people have. I would say before you even think about getting into the markets or whatever, I would say focus on paying down high interest credit card debt because that can be detrimental to a lot of people's financial life. So I would say that would be one key part of that financial stability. Another key part would be saving money. And I love what Anna said about making it automatic. Like that's the easiest pain-free way to save money and have that money built up rapidly over time is just set it up in your every two weeks, $50, $100, whatever you can afford to automatically go into your savings. And that way you don't even have to think about it. Like six, three months from now, six months from now, you can see a nice chunk of money that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I completely agree with that automatic mentality. And number three, if people have access to a 401k, some type of plan at work, I 100% say take advantage of that. Even if you're still paying debt, even if you're saving a little bit every two weeks, if you have that option at work, contribute whatever you can, 1%, 2%, 10%, whatever it is, because that's money that's, you know, you don't want to leave money on the table, like Jerry mentioned. And that money also builds up rapidly. So I think those three things can set up somebody for great foundation so that they can graduate into investing in other things and like exploring other options. But those three things are key, I would say. And I want to expand about something that you said, because you said it doesn't matter. Start a little bit or $50 here, $100 here. Start where you're at. Start where you're at. I can't really express that enough times. It doesn't matter if you feel like I don't have enough money to invest or I don't have enough money to pour extra towards that credit card. Start where you're at. And I won't go anymore because then I'll go off on a rant. (laughs) And I want to ask you all more questions. Now, our lives have been turned upside down with this pandemic. And financially, many Latinos have had to navigate financial challenges. I mean, in general, the population, but Latinos have been effective disproportionately. So a lot has changed. 
And what has changed that you think we should be paying most attention to when it comes to our dinero? Let's take it away with you, Camilo. I think you're right. We live in a different world now than we do a year ago. And we saw record unemployment numbers. We saw the economy really shrink. And I think that just exacerbated some of the financial problems that were there. If people were already feeling a little bit of financial stress, it kind of, when you go through a crisis, it kind of exposes a lot of the underlying symptoms and things that you're going through. And I think that really highlights the importance of having a plan. I'm going to say the word plan 10,000 times today. I think you need a plan. You need to have an emergency fund. You have to be ready for the unexpected. And I think I, at the very beginning, I highlighted that when I was seven years old, my dad died from cancer. He was pretty young and no one can see that type of thing coming. And things happen to all of us. None of us have a perfect life and you just have to start to get your kind of like finances in order as soon as possible, because you have to be ready. You know, if you qualify and you receive the the new stimulus check, they'll be coming out. If you don't need to use it for immediate expense and stuff, that can give you a head start to put a little bit of money away in case you need it for an emergency. And I think for me, COVID for all of us has really highlighted that we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Anything can happen. And financially, it can be really scary. But if you're ready the next time, you'll be in such a better place and you'll be glad that you did. And I don't mind you using the word planning as much as you have to, because I think planning is so essential. Now, Anna, how about you? What would you say is the thing that we need to be paying attention to most, especially in the times that we're living in? Yeah. One thing that's been very clear to me over the last years is that it's very apparent how vulnerable we are to these big systemic shocks that we can't anticipate at all, right? I grew up very much like get a stable job and you stay there forever. And I think a lot of people in our community have that sort of perspective. You'll always be able to have a job, but at the end of the day, you have a situation like this, where even if you want to go to work, you can't. And it really just points out the fact that people need to be much more in tune with their finances and understand what it's going to take for them to survive. So I like to tell people to have their baseline survival number, Mm -hmm. really have a clear understanding of what it's going to take for you to survive. And then also, I suppose it's COVID's already been around. Like We don't know if there's going to be another something like this. We hope not, but we all have things happen, like Amilo said. And it's important to have sort of a plan to dial down your expenses to that should something happen, right? So if there's a medical issue, if there's a job loss, if you know there's a family tragedy and somebody has to stop working, saying, okay, I need $5,000 a month to live on a normal basis. If I lose my job, I can dial that back down to this. And then maybe I can dial it back down to this and having that clear. And then also working towards making sure that you have at least that baseline in an emergency fund is really just, I can't overemphasize how important that is to ensuring that you are not desperate and in a situation, you know, going back to my earlier comment about choices in a situation that you can't really get yourself out of. 
Absolutely. And I love that baseline number. That's something I talk about as well, because if you have that already, when it comes to a crisis, when it comes to a pandemic, you've already done that. And I'm going to say plan again, the pre-planning you instead. So that way, if they're in case of crisis or another pandemic, you can focus on the emotions that you're going to have to deal with because it's just natural instead of focusing on the emotions and the frustration and the stress and trying to navigate the finances. So having that baseline number, knowing what that is, prioritizing your expenses as to, okay, for my family at this point in time, what's most important? Is it the light bill? Is it the transportation or the credit card? Because sometimes you're going to have to make those decisions. And it's important to know have those priorities. And like Anna said, that baseline survival number, what does that look like? Now, Mabel, how about you? What is that thing that during this time we should be paying attention to most? Yeah, I'm going to have to echo Camilo and Anna because the importance of an emergency fund is like non-negotiable. We saw how, you know, last year during around this time, actually, For example, the whole market crashed and people were losing their jobs. Like imagine being in a situation, having no savings. So what are you going to do? You're going to grab your credit card. If you were already in credit card debt, you're going to dig yourself into a deeper hole because now you don't have a job. Your investments are in the red and if you had any, and now you're going to resort to digging yourself into deeper debt. And now around this time, maybe you're having a hard time making ends meet or fixing your financial life again or trying to work on that. So I would say prioritize whatever that number is for you. The amount that you should have in an emergency fund will depend from one person to the next. If you're single with no kids, the amount of money that you need to live is going to be very different than somebody with a mortgage and kids and a whole family. So just think about what that number is for you. Like Anna was saying, what is that baseline for you and have that money saved, don't touch it because emergencies come unexpected. They don't give you a heads up, they just show up unannounced. What I think about is people that don't have any savings and they're out there playing the stock market. They don't know what they're doing, but they don't have any money in their bank account, but they're just trying to see, oh, maybe I can make a quick buck here and maybe I can resolve my problems through that. That is not the way to do it. You have to set your foundation. You have to save your money. That is completely separate from anything else. And that will give you peace of mind. Like I was saying earlier, that's a big key of being at peace with your finances and just being able to stay calm and collected when something random happens. So emergency fund, I would say, without a doubt. We're going to talk more in a little bit about that. And Camila, go ahead. Yeah, the one thing I was going to say is, you know, one other thing that we learned from the pandemic is that Latinos and people of color, we skew, we're predominantly the frontline workers. We work Mm -hmm. in, in food retail, in hospitality industries. We work in a lot of industries which seem to be disproportionately affected when there's an economic shock and people aren't traveling. And so that's just to underscore the importance of our communities. We really are vulnerable and we have to, not to scare you because it's empowering, right? This country cannot run without us. Literally, this country cannot run without us. And it's really empowering, but also knowing that because it can't run without us, we can't miss work. There's so many things that we just don't have the flexibility that some other people have. And so it just really underscores and reinforces the point of creating a plan. And I know I've said plan so many times, but when I say that, the one thing I want to say is be very specific. Mm -hmm. So it's not just sitting down and saying like, okay, I want to have a big house and that car. It's like, no, it's saying, okay, what is my rent every month? 
how much do I actually spend on groceries? Like literally how much? And writing these things down and really understanding like, okay, I need exactly $1,255 every single month to survive. And I know that's what I need to do for five months. And so being very methodical because it's so important. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Jerry, I would love to hear from you on this, especially in the work that you do and what you have seen, especially during this pandemic. So tell us a little bit about what you think we should be paying attention to most or what you have seen people are not doing in your work. So just to go back to echo what some of the other folks have said, I really do think we've all had to find our humor in this pandemic because it's been so taxing for everybody emotionally whether you're somebody trying to do a Zoom meeting with kids, trying to do homework upstairs rather than in a classroom. So I do think, just to reiterate, that emotional piece is huge. But the other piece that's huge is what everyone's already said, like this pandemic and the civil unrest and the movement for more equity and inclusion and less discrimination has really laid bare how vulnerable so many in our community are. And so when the other panelists talk about the importance of a plan, whether it's NERS or whether it's AARP, we're actively working to help folks figure out how to do that planning, how to make their own choices. But again, I think what I would reiterate from what everyone's already said is starting small is the best place to start. If you don't already do a budget and you don't have a good sense of what your bills are every month, start by just working out a budget. And it's not like it used to be where it was so hard to do that stuff on your own. There's free resources on the web that can help you track your savings and your spending and help you figure out how to pay down your debt sooner. There are some things that you pay for and lots of other things if you just search, you can find for free. There are retirement calculators and it can help you figure out some of your longer term goals. But it's something as small as starting with something small, as we've already discussed. Again, when we started supporting things like the state savings programs, a lot of what we heard is that one, people can't save because they don't make enough money, or two, people won't save because they don't prioritize it. And I do think those are huge misconceptions. We've seen people, as Mabel already stated, who start with very small amounts of money, but in a short amount of time, they have what they need. We do know, for example, in those state savings programs, in some of them, the first part of the money people invested was something that folks could get to in an emergency. And so folks may have taken some of that during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but they continue to save long-term while taking a little bit for emergency basic needs. Again, being able to have that emergency savings that you start very small, maybe it's one less coffee. We found a new place that thankfully is still open in our neighborhood because it's been so hard for restaurants to open and stay open. But maybe it's one less taco on your plate of three tacos in my case. But again, I think it's that starting small and knowing what you need to know to make a plan is incredibly important. And again, the organizations I'm associated with have calculators and all kinds of other resources that can help you, but there are resources out there and many of them are free. And so rather than going to a debt consolidator, for example, or something like that, you know, do what you can to figure out where you can make the most inroads. And maybe you take a bite out of your debt 
and you do a little emergency savings and you do a little retirement savings. And you can do these things in very small ways that over time add up. And, you know, the value of the stock market and everything that Mabel has said is really all about the time value of money. Any dollar you save today is going to be many more dollars into the future. So saving it early means you're going to have more on the back end. So small, small differences, small choices will add up over time. I want to add on a little bit to something you said, Jerry, because everybody that is attending and registered is going to be receiving a digital toolkit. So it's going to compile resources and tools such as the ones that Jerry has mentioned. And I know the panelists, they're also a resource. They have tools. I know Camilo had some calculators. I know Mabel has resources. I know Ana has resources as well that you can lean on, you can grab. And that's included in that digital toolkit. So keep an eye out for that because we're compiling that and making it pretty and wrapping it up with a bow, well, a digital bow, and sending it off your way. So I wanted to make sure that I add on to that because resources and just being resourceful and leaning into those resources is helpful because there's a lot out there you can tap into. And they're right here also on this panel. Now, I wanted to move on. Things are changing and Latinos, especially the younger generation, are eager to learn to invest. They're eager. And of course, as Latinos, we have those multi-generational households and maybe the abuelita, it's like investing what? I mean, I've got, you know, money stashed up in a colchon, you know, for what? You know, what else? So how do we shift this, especially in a multi-generational household where maybe the younger generation, the 18-year-old, 20-year-old is eager to invest and maybe the parents, I'm like, eh, we're good, right? We're grateful for what we have. We don't need anything else. How do we shift this? So let's start with you, Anna. That is something that I'm so passionate about because we all know the statistics about Latino households and wealth compared to white households. They're not great. Latinas earn 55 cents for every dollar that a white man earns. And I just know that, you know, we are so hard work and dedication and really like being determined is part and parcel with our culture, right? Like that's totally infused in our culture, but we have to get to the point where we're not just clinging to safety. And we also have our money working for us. And because we have less assets, because we have less income, we just have to be that much more strategic and invest for the future to ensure that we can get to a point where we are financially strong and we're able to not just do well for ourselves here, but then also leave something for our children or grandchildren so that they don't have to necessarily work as hard as we do. Love it. Now, Camilo, how about you? Yeah, I think the first thing is you have to invest in yourself first. And actually, I love that because every single one of you on this call, you're invested in yourself by signing up and registering for this event. So that was kind of like your first investment in your education. And it comes down to familiarizing yourself with investing. I, you know, I'm a perfect example because I grew up in a household where my parents weren't investing in stocks. My grandparents weren't investing in stocks. So that information was never passed down to me. So I had to go and find that information myself. And we already talked about how every panelist here has so many great resources, financetrends.com on my website, if we have this long article that I wrote on literally the basics of how to start investing, and that is the kind of thing that you can read and start to explain to your mama, your papa, abuelita, abuelito, to everyone, el tío y la tía, a todos. And 
that's something that I will be able to pass on to my kids. And so investing in yourself via your education, and then, you know, someone needs to take the initiative to learn about investing. And there's so many great resources out there, but you kind of, you need to make the jump, right? Because we've all, our communities, we've all been basically let down by the financial system for so many years that there's a kind of a, a distrust of investing of the financial markets. They're too complicated. You have to be rich to invest. All these things that just are not true. And by investing in yourself and starting to familiarize yourself with the terms and being responsible with how much risk you're able to take in investing, you're going to be able to pass those lessons on to future generations. And we're going to be able to 50 years from now start to see Latinos and Latinas that are going to be at the forefront, we're going to be at the forefront of these things because we're going to be the majority in the United States. Absolutely. Jerry, how about you? What are your thoughts? I really do appreciate everything Camila said about educating yourself about investing. Most of my investments, and I will say this to in lots of different places, most of my investing is really the most traditional. It's all in my employee accounts in my retirement accounts. So I really haven't done a lot of individual investing. But to Camila's point, it was something my kids were really interested in. So we started them off with, I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to go to a, a FinCon uh, conference and discovered those little cards where you can basically buy them just a piece of a share. And so again, getting them interested early and starting to talk to them about profits and loss statements and how you measure PL and all of those kinds of things. It was really interesting. Like once they started to see even the smallest increment of growth, then they really caught the bug. So I think to your point, Camilo, I think the next generation and the generations to come are going to be so much more savvy. And part of that savviness is like my kids are read it a holic, right? So if it's on Reddit, he's seen it, he knows about it. So that again, there's so much free content to help folks educate themselves. And again, to your point, like being here today is part of that investment in yourself. So find the information. Again, we've got these great experts who do this for a living, and you will get to the point where you need an expert. But initially, there's so many things you can teach yourself. There's free content go and find it and use it. And again, I do think that it's not the way it used to be where I think there are lots of different financial institutions who aren't very interested in low dollar savers, but they are out there and you can find them to help you get started. And then it's amazing how much more attractive you become to financial services industries when you have a little bit more money in those accounts. So I think, you know, if you invest in yourself early, eventually you're going to be very attractive to the folks who want to manage the resources that you've accumulated. And I only say that because I also want to put a plug in, which Mabel mentioned early on. There's a lot of scammers out there. There's a lot of folks who want to separate you from your hard-earned money. And it's really important to do your research on who you're going to let help you accumulate your wealth and build that savings and pay down debt because there are a lot of scammers. And again, there's a lot of resources that can help you understand this. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It's a saying for a reason. It's very true. So again, do your homework before you hit that Zelle button or you write that check or you give up your credit card numbers. Thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to add on to that because you are absolutely right. There's a lot of scammers. We have to be careful 
And for those watching right now, the speakers that I'm having at this event, these are people I trust. I brought them to you. I invited them because they are people that I trust. And those that know me personally, I'm very picky <laughs> and I'm very careful with who I bring. So just know that the speakers at this event are, I have vetted them with my high standards of trust. So I just wanted to add on. Now, my Ben, I wanted to hear from you in terms of those questions, in terms of shifting that mindset of some of us are ready to invest and others are just like, eh, I'm good. Yeah, amazing question. And I think, first of all, it's time to change the narrative in our families, in our communities, in our generations. I feel like for two, way too many years, we've been used to, you know, it's before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. It's okay to have a lot of debt. It's okay to that you can save any money. It's okay if you're living paycheck to paycheck. That has been the narrative forever. For as long as I can remember, even in my own family or Hispanic, Latino family that I've known, Debt and living paycheck to paycheck has been okay always. Know that you can be the person to change that narrative. You can be the person to be the one that starts to save money, to educate yourself on legitimate ways to invest. And when you educate yourself, you can bring others with you, your family members that don't know about these things, that have never heard of it or are skeptical of it. If you educate yourself the right way and you learn these things, you can bring your family with you. And I think it's about educating yourself, sharing the knowledge and lead by example. And speaking from experience, I'm always thankful to my dad. When I first started my first job out of college, I didn't know about much about investing. I didn't know about 401ks. I was skeptical. You know, I don't make a lot of money in the first place. Why would I want them to take money away from my 401k? Like I was against that. Um, but my dad sat me down and explained. He didn't know about individual investing stocks and stuff like that. He didn't know about that, but he knew about the importance of a 401k. So thanks to him, I increased my 1% contribution to 10% because I'm like, oh, okay, this is actually good for me. When you know information that you know is valuable, you can share with your family members, you can help them level up and, you know, you can continue educating yourself. And then the table turned later on when, you know, I started to invest in individual stocks and things like that, that my dad didn't know about. So then I taught him about that and I helped him open an IRA and I helped him pick high quality investments. So then I helped him, you know, later on in life. So we helped each other build a good financial foundation, but it all comes from like shifting the mindset. It's okay if you don't want to be stick to the norm of high debt and not making a lot of money or living paycheck to paycheck. You have the power to get away from that. You definitely do. And I'm speaking from experience as an immigrant, Dominicana that came here when I didn't know any English when I came to this country. You can definitely do that. You just have to educate yourself. So important because you don't want to be fall into scams. But then once you know, you can transfer that knowledge to your family and people around you. When it comes into investing, what should we know? Because there's so many things thrown out, out there, especially on the media. And you just 
don't know where to start. There's the Roths, there's the ETFs, there's the index funds, there's all these things. So I wanted to start off with you, my bad, because you help educate women on how to invest in the stock market and you do it in such a simple manner. So talk to us about just kind of break it down in a short period of time. I mean, I know we need more time. <laughs> You're so right. Like there's so many different types of accounts. There's so many different types of investments. I would say first and foremost, if you have access to a 401k, we've said this before, that can be your first step towards being in the markets without having to like break your head trying to figure things out. That was actually my introduction to the markets. It was through a 401k. So if you have access to that, contribute to that. That can be your first step. And as you educate yourself in other things, then I would say it's okay to be a boring investor that if your plan is to grow long-term wealth. And by that, I mean, you can focus on index funds, ETFs, and what I like to call high quality individual stocks from you know, major corporations that have been around for many years and probably will be around for 10, 20, 30 more years. There's other things that I would call a quality stock. But what I mean by that is investing to build wealth is not the same as day trading and playing the stock market. So mm-hmm. you can open an investment account on your own in this day and age. Anybody can open one. Even if you only have $10 to put in that account, you can do it. There's no minimum. You can open, I don't know if we can name any companies that you can open an account with, but there's many uh, accounts that allow you to open an investment account on your own. Send some money there and start educating yourself on what makes a good index fund, what makes a good ETF, what makes a good stock. And, you know, as you educate yourself and then you can start taking action little by little, but I don't want people to think that investing is this you know, high paced world where you're in there gambling all day long, looking at your computer, trying to make $5 here, $10 there. That is not investing, that is gambling. And I encourage people to stay away from that. There's a lot of hype, especially in recent times with specific stocks that people trying to think that they're going to be, you know, make thousands of dollars overnight. Listen, it doesn't work that way. Maybe one person out of 30,000 made a lot of money. I don't know. But I would encourage you to understand that day trading and investing are two completely different things. And it's okay to just focus on the boring things that are actually going to make you wealthy, like quality stocks, index funds, and ETF. That's what I pretty much stick to. <laughs> so. Love it. And I love that distinction. Now, Anna, you are a certified financial planner. So I know you have some things to say. Talk to us. Yeah. I don't like people to feel like they have to have all of the information in order to get started because that can be a trap that we fall Mm -hmm. into. Like, I have to know everything and until I know everything and I feel super comfortable, I'm not going to invest a dollar. Don't do that. I think what you need to know is basic types of accounts, right? You want to understand the basics of investments. Like, what is a stock? What is a bond? What is a mutual fund? What is an ETF? The other thing that people don't talk about enough is what are you investing for? You just open an account and you throw some money in there and you buy some stuff, but you don't really know what that money is for. And so it can be hard to assess whether it's invested appropriately if you're taking too much risk, if you're taking too little risk, because you're not clear on the goal for that, right? Some things like retirement are very easy, but if you have shorter term investments, you have to assess the investments that you're putting there a little bit differently. But just to keep it short, I think those are really the three things that you need to know. But also don't feel like you have to be Warren Buffett. You're not going to be Warren Buffett. And the people that are out here like reading the Financial Times and reading the Wall Street Journal and spitting off, you know, fancy terms to you, like you don't have to become that person in order to invest and actually build wealth through investing. All right. How about you, Camilo? 
I agree with everything that's been said. If you've done research and you know the types of accounts, but you're still kind of like paralyzed and you're like, I still don't know what to invest. There's an infinite number of stocks, an infinite number of ETFs and mutual funds. One thing that you can look into is a target date fund or a target retirement fund. This is a fund. It's just a single investment, but it's catered towards a retirement year. So normally they go in increments of every five years. So you might say, I think my goal is to retire in the year 2055. So you can literally Google 2055, or once you open your investment account, you can look inside the search uh, function to type in target retirement fund 2055. And it's a single investment usually has low fees and it's diversified for you. It basically it does the work for you. And so that's just a really great way to get started. If you're really overwhelmed and you don't know what to do for me, the big takeaway for people that are new to investing is it doesn't have to be complicated. That's why so many of us are scared of investing. It seems too complicated and we're afraid of losing money. And obviously you have to take risks to invest. Otherwise it wouldn't be called investing. It'd be just like saving money. Yeah. It's like here's free money. But with that said, it doesn't have to be super complicated over time. Like my bed said, she started with the 401k and then over time she became educated and learned and started picking stocks and stuff. But right out of the gates, it can be super easy. You can just invest in one thing if it's target date fund and you'll be doing just as well as you'll probably be doing better than the average person out there. So that's the one thing you don't need to make it very complicated. Wonderful. And Jerry, do you have anything to add on? Camille stole my thunder when he mentioned the target date funds, because I really do think for most folks, when you're first starting out, again, it's not about knowing everything. It's about picking something easy and relatively safe. Like if you have access to a 401k or some other kind of savings plan where you can do something like target date, you can do target funds. Those are easier to places to start. I know that, you know, one of the things we've always sort of talked to our kids about is what are the things you love and what are the things that you buy? Just like what Anna said, there's companies that have been around forever and they seem relatively stable, not assuming a pandemic or something like that. And those are good places to start with companies that you already trust and that you have an existing relationship with if you're going to go the individual stock route. And the last thing I would say, just to kind of add another layer, is the more that you save over time, the more you do have at risk. So it's always important from your first contribution, when you've hopefully gotten to the point where you've amassed some wealth, that you understand the fee structures of the things that you're saving in, so that you make sure if there's two things side by side, and they are doing about the same over time, so their three-year, their five-year, their 10-year numbers look the same. It's important to look at that fee structure because you might be paying a lot more for one than you are the other. And again, when you really have a solid nest egg, it's important to look at what types of folks are managing your money. I mean, I certainly think that you want a fiduciary if you have a huge amount of money, you want to make sure that folks are looking at your money and putting your needs and your interests first, not their own. And so again, I think those are longer term things to look at. But again, fee structures, and there are a lot of easy investments that like index funds that do just as well over the long term as things that, again, take a lot more knowledge and maybe have a little bit more risk or a lot more risk. 
Thank you. Now, the last thing that I want to ask is about protecting your money because we're building wealth, investing, and I'm going to ask you, Anna, if you can share with us, what do you need to do to protect your money? And then we're going to wrap it up with some parting words from each of you. So Anna, what are like the non-negotiable items on your list that when it comes to protecting your money, what do you need to do? Yeah. You want to make sure that you have an emergency fund like we talked about. I think insurance is another one that we just don't Mm -hmm. talk about enough. Life insurance doesn't have to be expensive. Like I don't fall into the hype of it's an investment or anything like that. Just simple term life insurance. I want to share a quick story that I think will resonate with the audience, but I had a young woman come to me last summer and she was mid twenties. She was a Latina and her father had passed away unexpectedly of COVID like early last year. And he was 47 years old, very young, healthy. He was the breadwinner in the family. Her mother worked, but like just kind of had a side gig. She was mostly a stay at home mom. And she was because of COVID. And then also just due to her grief, she wasn't able to work. Luckily, For her, for their family, her dad just six months before had bought a term life insurance policy, which was enough of like several years worth of expenses for them. And so that was able to provide for them and help her mom be able to stay at home and not have to stress and go find a job immediately. And I remember her telling me just how hesitant her dad was to buy it, right? He's like, oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. I'm fine. I'm young. And our community, it's not talked about enough. And it's very easily accessible from a dollar standpoint. And it's priceless in terms of what it could potentially leave to your family in terms of peace of mind. Camilo, I'm sure this resonates with you also. Like, it's just, you don't know when your time is going to come. And it's just so important to have that coverage there in case something happens. Yeah, that resonated a lot with me because my dad was 46 when he passed away and he did not have a life insurance policy. So I have two baby boys now. And I know one of the first things I did once I was able to get more than like three hours of sleep at a time when they were born was I got a term life insurance policy. And so just so that people have a sense, how much you'll pay for term policy will depend on your age and so many different health factors and all these things. But I pay $35 a month And if something happens to me over the next 20 years, I got it like a year ago. So let's say over the next 19 years, then my family will receive a million dollars. And I'd rather have them have me around to work and provide for them. But that would have been a game changer for me and my family. Instead of being raised in poverty, I would have been able to focus on doing even more homework instead of having to work after school and high school every day. And so this question was around protecting your money. And I just agree with everything you said. The first thing that came to mind was insurance. We've already talked about so much about emergency fund and those things. But if you have people who rely on you and your paycheck, a term life insurance policy is just a no-brainer if you have a little bit of money to, to invest. And like I said, mine was $35 a month. Thank you for sharing that. Now we're going to be wrapping it up. I know this is a type of conversation that needs to be longer and I wish we had more time, but we don't. So I wanted each of you to just share some parting words. What is one piece of action to create financial stability that those watching and learning today can take to be financially stronger? I will start with you, Mabed. Okay, I would say get into the investor mindset. And by that, I mean, if you don't have the 401k, like I said earlier, start contributing to that. And if you already have that set up and you want to kind of start investing on your own and start exploring individual stocks and stuff like that, I would say open an investment account. 
the application process is very simple. It's, if you ever apply for a credit card online or open a checking account online, it's similar questions. So some people might get intimidated by the actual process. It's really not a big deal. It's free to open and start sending money to that investment account and maybe every couple of weeks so that you can start saving to invest. You don't have to invest the money right away. That was what I wanted to say. As you are educating yourself about where to allocate that money, what kind of index funds, what kind of stocks or whatever, you can still start saving in that investment account so that you already have that mindset like, all right, I already have this money in that account. It's for investing and I'm educating myself first, but it's already there, ready to go. So when I'm ready to take that first step, that's it. You just buy the stock or buy the ETF and that's it. But that's what I would say will be like a practical step. Thank you. How about you, Jerry? So I really want to follow up on what Anna and Camilo said, because it, it also resonated with me. I had a cousin who was killed very, very young and had very small children and didn't have life insurance. And thankfully that family survived because of social security survivor benefits and nobody wants to be in that situation, but thankfully they were actually able to continue to be okay. Not great, but okay because of those social security survivor benefits. So that's just another piece, not for everyone, but you know, hopefully most people have access to that. My parting word was going to be, you know, when you get to that point where you have some assets and some wealth to leave behind, The thing that we also didn't get a chance to talk about was making sure your family knows your wishes. And if that Mm -hmm. means having a will, often so many people do not name a beneficiary. If they have a life insurance account at work in particular, make sure your beneficiaries are defined. Make sure if you have enough assets that you need a will, that you've written out what your wishes are so that you don't leave the family with a lot of questions, which can often lead to harsh words and torn relationships after you're gone. So that would be the piece I want to leave folks with. Absolutely. And make sure that as life changes, that you update those beneficiaries. I can't tell you as a military spouse, how many times I've seen day in and day out that the person didn't update the beneficiary and the benefits went to an ex-spouse, not to the current spouse. So always make sure that those legal documents are updated. Now, Anna, how about you? Yeah. In terms of an actionable tip, automating your finances is the biggest one that I can Mm -hmm. recommend to people. You set your goal, you have your plan, you know, whether that be debt pay down or emergency fund or investing, whatever it may be, set it up so that it's drawn automatically from your checking account on payday. Like it comes out before anything else hits. And that way, once again, you're prioritizing your financial health and just leave that alone. Like set it up, be mindful. Don't get overly aggressive when you set those goals, right? Even if you start smaller and then you increase it later, it's better to do that than to just like overdo it. And then you just give up. That would be my number one tip. Love it. And Camilo? I think for me, the closing thing is, I want everyone to walk away from this just feeling so empowered. And I just want you to know that nobody cares about your future more than you do. Not your boss, not your neighbor, not your pet dog, no one. You are the person who's in charge of your future. And today's the day. You're going to receive so many resources through this event that you fortunately signed up for. Take advantage of them. Today's the day. You're going to start saving. You're going to sit down and create those goals. And you have to look out for your future. Negotiate for that raise. Go out and ask for what you deserve, find a better job, live the life of your dreams. You know, we're all here to support you because you deserve it. 
My goodness, what an amazing conversation. We took it a little longer than we intended, but valuable. So it had to run its course. Thank you so much, Camilo, Ana, Mabel, and Jerry. You really brought it home. You really brought a lot of value. I appreciate you. I appreciate the leadership. I appreciate the space you take in this community because we need people like you to lean on and really learn from. So thank you so much for spending some time with us here today and helping us become financially stronger. Thank you. Oh my goodness, Veronica, all I could think is this was not long enough. We needed like three times the amount of time that we had because in looking at all the questions, we could be here another couple hours, but I know we have to honor the time. What are your thoughts on all this? So much information. Yeah, I wish we could. And maybe you can still, Jen, like <laughs> have three more sessions with these four speakers. I'm taking so many notes. I was in the chat. So many questions popping up. You know, all of these key takeaways. I have three things that I can do, you know, moving forward just myself. Like, Activating my emergency savings card that Jerry reminded me of. Yeah, uh, guilty. I still haven't set that up. Starting an investment account like Mabel mentioned. Mabel, I love what you said, those tips in terms of how you can easily set something like that up online. And then focusing on education, especially around investment, right? Because that's something that my own father has told me um, and shared with me. You know, that was something he wished he had learned more about. He wished he had done that definitely insurance he taught me about, definitely in 401k and Roth and and anybody who matches, like don't leave that money on the table. But I feel like I owe that to my dad to like learn about investing because I know he wanted to, and maybe we can do that together. He's 88, but it's never too late. And then that baseline survival numbers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like right now is like, okay, what? And I think COVID for a lot of us has brought up the distinction between needs and wants. And so I very much appreciate the conversation. And there's so much else that I'd love to say, but we just have so many questions and I want to get to them. So thank you all so much for the space that you take in this space and for all of your knowledge sharing. Thank you. Yes. So let's go ahead and get to the questions. And again, we have a ton of questions and chances are we may not get through all of them. If we don't, I might be able to twist Camilo's Arm and Anna's and Mabel's and maybe Jerry's to answer some of the questions in the pop-up group. We'll see how well I do in twisting their arms. But if we don't get to them in some way, I will make it happen where we answer those questions. All right. And I commit to do that too, Jen. I can do that too. I can help too. So thank you. Wonderful. So let's go ahead and get started. We have a question from Marlene. If you have a 403B, should you consider getting a 401k? Who wants to take that away? I'll take it. So 403B and 401Ks are very similarly. It really depends on the type of organization you work at. So assuming this is your current employer and they offer you a 403B, you don't have an option to do a 401K, but you can open a traditional or a Roth IRA in addition to your 403B contributions. If for some reason, if you're able to max it out and you want to invest beyond that, or if you don't like the investment options and you want more flexibility to choose different ones, that's also an option. But a 401K versus 403B is usually just tied to whether your employer is a nonprofit or a hospital or 
education institution versus like just a corporation or a for-profit business? There are some cases where an employer will offer both, or perhaps mm-hmm. someone was contributing to a 403B and then they get a new job and the new mm-hmm. job has a 401k. So in, in a one tax year, they might have both. And so the one thing you should know is that the contribution limits are combined. So if the contribution limit for a 401k or a 403B is $19,500 in a year, you can't contribute that much to both. At the end of the year, you'd want, to, if you contribute to both, they would both need to add up to a max of that. So that's only the one thing to keep in mind. The question is, should you do both? If you want, the most important thing is just to try to max out your tax advantage retirement. You can if you want, but if you just do one and you max it out, you're doing amazing. Love it. Now, as you're listening to the answers, think consider, I know one thing that Veronica mentioned was like, it's not too late. And even she can learn together with her dad, make sure that you pass on this information to your mom, to your dad, because we know as Latinos, we're a close-knit family, right? So just make sure that get these answers for yourself, but make sure you pass on the love and pass on this information on. And it's yes. scary. When I add one thing to what Camila said, and that is when you reach the age of 50, particularly if you haven't had the opportunity to max out in all your previous years, when you hit 50, you get the option of catch-up contributions, which allow you to put even more money into one of those retirement accounts. So again, at 50, if you haven't done everything you could before, that's a good time to also consider doubling down with a few more dollars. Priceless information. Thank you. Now, Mel asks, if you already own your home outright, so there's no mortgage there, have money to invest, do you get a second home as a rental or invest more into stocks if you already have a decent chunk in the stock market? Is it better to diversify investments? Who wants to take it away first? What I would say is it depends. It's really hard for any of us here to tell you, you have to go invest in real estate versus stocks because there's a lot of personal choice that goes into things that you invest in. I know traditionally people have said invest in you know your 401k, which typically is invested directly into the stock market. But if you really do believe in investing in real estate and that's something you're excited and passionate about, and you don't mind your money being tied up in this physical thing that you maybe can't sell tomorrow if you want to do something, then maybe you should consider it, but they both have their own pros and cons and there's no right or wrong answer. You have to do what you feel comfortable with and what you're excited about. And it's a very personal question and you can always do a little bit of both. Anybody else want to add on? Yeah, I agree with Camilo 100%. And I think it has to do with your comfort level. For example, for me, I'm a big fan of individual stocks, like high quality individual stocks. And I'm a little scared of real estate. So, you know, for me, my comfort level is stocks and investing in the stock market. Meanwhile, like I'm not really experienced in real estate. If I had a chunk of money, I probably would invest it as opposed to put it in real estate. So I think it depends on what you feel comfortable with. Like Amilo said, what makes you excited? Um, Do you feel more excited about owning more property? Does that like cheer you up? Like, oh, I could rent it. Or do you feel like, you know, I want to explore the world of stocks? So I would say you have to ask yourself that question. It's a very personal decision. Just to add on to that, too, I think there are two things that people don't consider enough. With a portfolio, obviously, there is some ongoing monitoring that you're going to need to do. Make sure your asset allocation is in line with what your goals are. Make sure that 
if you are picking single stock in particular, that, you know, the stock is still a good long-term investment and all of that. Not to say that you need to be like in there all the time, but it's still something that you have to monitor. But the amount of work that that takes is significantly less, in my opinion, than real estate. Unless you hire a property manager, you need to be prepared to have a handyman on call, have a roofer on call if something goes wrong, if you have a rental. The second thing I would say is that a lot of times people don't consider all of the true costs around real estate. And once again, this is not to say yes or no for any of those. I invest in real estate and I also invest in the stock market. So I believe in both. But Considering the maintenance costs, like and putting money aside and having a separate fund for that to ensure that if something goes wrong with that property, it doesn't derail your finances, like the rest of your finances is super important. So it's, one is not better than the other. It's really just about your personal preference. And something that you had said earlier was know what you are investing for. I think that really having an answer to that question will help having an answer to how risk adverse you are. When you know what you're investing for, you know that you may not want your money tied up in the walls in the house because maybe you're investing for a goal that you're wanting to take that money out for whatever that is. So definitely consider those things as well. I think that is helpful. Now, another question is related to real estate. You've kind of answered this already. How do you compare investing in rental properties versus retirement? And this comes from Maria, which is best? So you've answered a little bit, but if you want to expand on that. So I have an older, I have two brothers, but my older brother, he's a real estate investor. That's what he does for work. And if he were here on this panel, he would say, you should invest in real estate. And if you ask me, I would say you should probably invest in stocks. So again, how would I determine which one to invest in? I would think about things like, what do I think is going to be the expected return of the stock market on average for the next 15 years? What do I think it would be for real estate? I know for real estate, when you're investing, you have to build a performa and look at the costs and expenses and how likely are you to have a vacancy in your property and those things. And I guess I would do a mini study and analysis and try to compare the two and figure out where do I think I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. But I wish I had a more clear answer because it's a decision muy personal para todos. You, you need to yes. figure out what you want to do. Absolutely. If I knew I, which one was going to be better, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I would be making that investment if I had a guaranteed um, answer. I hear you. And in terms of a good website, Carol asks, what is a good website for beginners like herself to start investing? So I would say there's resources on this panel that you'll get in the digital toolkit. But of course, please take it away. I don't know who wants to start. I'll do a shameless plug for myself. So uh, my platform is called Girls on the Money. And I know Camille also has a similar platform in education on investing for beginners. So what I do is that I simplify investing. I break it down to simple terms. People hear about the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, different indexes, and people get confused, like, what the heck is that? So what I do is that I break it down in my content that I share. I have newsletters that I send out every two weeks where I explain different investing concepts, different strategies, and just in very simple terms, because I feel that when people go Google how to invest, you know, you're going to get a million different results. You're going to get overwhelmed. You might get scammed. You know, you're going to get all these crazy stuff. I would say, yeah, just find somebody 
look at our platforms. All of us that are here are incredible people. See who you feel comfortable with, see who you can learn from and just kind of start there, I would say. Yeah. And aside from some of the resources we have here, if the question was more around like, where can I start investing? I would recommend Fidelity, Vanguard. I'd love to hear if you guys, other women have amazing recommendations, but I really I'm biased because I use Fidelity. I'm not affiliated with them in any way, so no conflicts there, but I think they have a lot of amazing investment options. And I think Vanguard just is known for incredible index fund and target date fund options as well. And the reason why Camino is mentioning that when you invest, you need to look at the fees, right? You need to look at, because if you're investing in the long term, your money is going to build and build and build. And then there's going to be a fees attached to that, which adds up. So you want to look at places, brokerages where they have relatively low fees. And I'm wondering if we can talk about, I don't know if it's a question, but in terms of there's Fidelity, there's Vanguard versus Better Rent. Uh, so there's the brokerages and then there's the robo-advisors. Does anybody want to talk about that just briefly? Because I think it would be important to share that. Yeah, I can start. So they work very differently and it depends on what kind of investor you want to be. So if you want to invest on your own, do you want to pick your own stocks? Do you want to pick your own index funds, your own ETFs? You can open a Fidelity account on your own. Like Camilo said, you can even open a Vanguard account on your own, a Schwab account on your own. On your computer at home, you can do this on your own, but you have the responsibility of picking and choosing your own investments. They're not going to do it for you. There is, like you said, like a betterment and wealth front and even Vanguard and Fidelity, I think they also have managed accounts. Managed accounts means that give them the money and let them manage it for you, but that comes with fees involved. Obviously, they're not going to do it for free. So you want to be mindful of fees. In my understanding, anything close, like 1% or higher is considered expensive in the investing world. So you want to be around, I think it's 0.25 around there in fees. It might have changed since I looked at it last, but anything nearing 1% or more, or maybe super high commissions, you want to be cautious with that because you can invest for much cheaper if you know your options. I think the broker advisors, as she mentioned, the Wealthfront and Betterment are both incredible options. And if you're sitting at home and you're thinking, I've gone the first 45 years of my life without investing, this is really scary. One of those robo advisors could be a really good way. You just deposit money, you take a quiz, they figure out what your risk tolerance is, what your investment horizon is, and then they do it for you. And all you do is log in and just see how it's performing. It's that easy. Absolutely. Jimena asks, are there any resources or advisors for non-US citizens here on a student visa? Real estate is different than in the stock market, but at the end of the day, the money is still green. So I'm not quite sure though. Again, if you're on a student visa and you have specific goals, I think it just goes back to what you were saying, Jen. What is your why? What are you investing mm-hmm. this for? Are these long-term goals? Are you planning to come back? So I think there's a lot more personal questions. And I actually don't know that status has really anything to do with it in terms of like immigration status, but it's a great question and I'm going to research it so that we can find it and put it in the pop-up group. No, absolutely. I don't want to put you on the spot. So I'm hoping that you'll sort of agree with me on this, but a question earlier that someone asked about whether or not to invest in their retirement or real estate. Mm. 
I was hoping someone might chime in and say, it's not necessarily a either or, but a matter of when and how set up you are. So if you are 50 and you've been investing in your retirement for the last 25 years or something like that, it depends, but there are calculators out there that can show you how much you need to have invested and saved up in a retirement account in order to continue living the life that you are currently living. And that number has stayed with me since I was 26 or 27, because I did one of those calculators when I was at an employer. And at that time I was making only about, you know, half of what I'm making now, but the calculator showed me that if I wanted to retire at 55 and I wanted to continue living for 30 more years, I needed to have $2 million saved up to continue living in the condition that I was living in then. And so it is important to look at what you have and then decide, okay, now is the time that, yeah, I do want to own a rental property because I want to leave it behind for my kids or their kids. And so I don't think it's an either or, I think it's a when and like how ready you are. And I, and no one chimed in. So for that, I for love that. that. <laughs> I love that you mentioned that. I don't know if Jerry wanted to. No, in. and I would just, it was a great point, Veronica. And I do think that especially for those of us, you know, once you add a spouse and once you add some kids and even some furry family, how you split that dollar changes. So using those employer provided accounts, as soon as you get access to them, is just a smart thing to do throughout your career. And then you can make other choices, whether it's money in a 529 for your kid to go to college, or again, it's a piece of rental property. I mean, some of that is sometimes just being smart and on the ball. I have the distinct pleasure of being one of those people who always moves to a neighborhood first, but didn't buy. And then suddenly I was living in the hot neighborhood and I couldn't afford to buy. So I think some of that is really thinking about where do you want to retire? I have a friend whose kid just moved someplace and they're thinking about buying something there now that they can rent because at the end of their career, they want to be able to be close to their kids. So again, what are the choices that you're making to Veronica's point, everyone else's point? What's your why? And then figuring out how to split the dollar is really the question. I love that. And then another question that came from Viviana was about investing focused on your values, your environmental beliefs, or maybe nutrition. I know, Mabel, one thing that you talk about is investing in things that maybe you're invested in, in terms of things that you like or that you purchase, or find yourself purchasing regularly. So what are your thoughts on, on this? So yeah, I guess it would be two different things. Like one way to approach investing is by, okay, what companies do I use all the time? Which brands do I use often? Which brands do I believe? And from those brands, do I feel they're still going to be around in the next five, 10, 15 years? Do they have that long time horizon where you can just invest in them and leave them alone? And then I think the question that came up is about kind of ethical or socially conscious investing, investing on funds, for example, that are made up of companies that help the world, help the environment. I think that's an incredible way to approach investing. However, you want to make sure that you're actually going to make money from these funds. You know, you want to look at their track record. You know, how have they performed over the past five, 10, 15 years? Or if they're newer, maybe over the past five years, you just want to look at their track record because, okay, Let's say that you're investing in great funds that help the world, but what if you're not making any money and your account is in the negative? Are you going to be okay with that? Only you can answer that question. Like, okay, I'm investing for the good of the world, but maybe my funds aren't doing well. 
you have to do your research pretty much. You can find funds that, okay, I love this company. They do well. Let me see how this investment has performed over time. Because I will believe if you're, if you're investing, is for the purpose of growing your wealth. That's one main reason. So you want to make sure that you maybe find a compromise in that area. This is something I'm super passionate about because I, I'm very passionate about intentionally spending your money and investing in places that are aligned with your values. Whether that be like the people you hired as a business owner, the person I hired to do my website and whoever I'm working with, it's very important to me. And I find that a lot of the research around socially responsible investing and ESG investing is very outdated, but we're starting to see more investment focus that is really focused on like racial justice and socioeconomic justice and leveling the playing fields in the country. You know, we mentioned Betterment earlier, like this, is, I'm not compensated by them at all for this, but they have like a racial and gender equity portfolio that they offer, right? If environmental justice is your thing, or there's a website and I'm blanking on the name, I will put it in the pop-up group after where you can screen any mutual fund that you want, any ETF that you want through there, and it'll give it a grade for in terms of climate change, right? So there are ways that you can do that. And more recent studies have shown that previous studies that showed that funds that were environmental, socially focused, underperformed their benchmark, that's actually been kind of bonked now and shown that that's actually not the case. So the historical thing is not necessarily as accurate, right? And then there's also the point of going forward, what's our society going to look like? And are we going to be left holding the proverbial bag? Nobody wants that. And there's so many more questions. I'm wondering, Veronica, there's like these really two good questions. One's about financial planning options for my 77-year-old mom and one about a reverse mortgage. I am wondering if we should tackle them, but I also want to honor people's time. <laughs> I know it's our speakers. It's, it's You know what? I mean, I want to be respectful of our speakers. How about yes. we do one last question and then we can go back to the pop-up I group. Think. I would love to hear responses from folks around creating financial stability or financial planning options later in life. So mm-hmm. if someone is 77 years old, I know she would like to leave something for her four kids and six grandchildren, but she doesn't know how to start. So I think that would be great. And then we can do some research because I'm not quite sure if anybody has advice around reverse mortgages on this call. So I can find the information. Yeah, but we can definitely look it up. So I would ask about what are some options if you're older? Who wants to take it? Well, I'll take one piece of it. And I, and I do think that, you know, if you have the opportunity to work as long as possible and delay taking your social security, that is a good way to get the maximum amount of your social security, which again, for many people will be either their primary retirement funds if they haven't had the opportunity to save throughout their career, or for many people, it's still a very substantial part of what they're based on. Obviously, if you've had the opportunity to buy a home, figuring out how to make that home work for you. The other thing I will say is the term life insurance, maximizing your social security, figuring out which money to spend first. So if you have retirement savings, there's more liquidity in some things and cost you less in fees over time. But again, it really depends on how many stacks of dollars you're dealing with. Wonderful. Anyone else want to chime in quickly? One thing I was going to say very quickly, if this question was around to how do you even get started finding someone to help with financial planning when you're 77? What I would do is I would just have conversations with a few CFPs, certified financial planners, and 
a lot of the time you don't need to pay until you've kind of reached an agreement to work with them. So meet with a few, make sure they're CFPs and ask them questions. Say I'm 77 or my mom is 77. What are some recommendations you would do? How would you want to manage the situation? Maybe they can refer you to the right person. Maybe you need an estate attorney to help you set up, make sure you have a will, make sure you have the documents so that everyone gets, you know, that's are eventually distributed the right way. But I would potentially just, if there is money there, potentially speaking to a professional might really be your, your best course of action. I would say we have, I know my mom is like this. I think this is just a part of our mothers as Latinas like thing. They want to give everything to everybody else and they forget about themselves. So it's beautiful to think about legacy and leaving things to your kids and your grandkids and everything. But at the same time, you need to make sure that What's centered in that conversation, and I agree with Camilo, like consulting with the CFP is amazing. You can go to like the CFP website or NAP, the National Association for Financial Planners, um, NAPFA's website, and find somebody in your area. But asking them to make sure that she has enough money for the rest of her life. And then also, should she need long-term care? Should she need a nurse or something in her home? And then you have that conversation about leaving things to everybody else. But until then, and you know, that might involve an estate planning attorney or whoever it may be, but it's, it's just important to make sure that they're good before they go giving away everything to everybody because they just have those big, generous hearts, you know? Oh my goodness. So I know, as I mentioned, this could have lasted three times as long because this type of conversation needs a lot more time, but we've run out of time. So Camilo, Ana, Jerry, Mabel, thank you so much for everything that you shared with us today, for spending some time with us. And Veronica, like this is the last session. I can't believe I am so thankful for everybody that has been here since the beginning, like the three sessions. I know some people had just found out about this tonight, like literally right when I got started. So thank you for being here. This is not a goodbye, but this is just the beginning. So Veronica, thank you so much for being the MC. Thank you, our AARP, for sponsoring the event. So please, everyone that's watching this, give AARP some love, give our speakers some love. You should see somewhere where you can connect with them. And then before we sign off, each session we've had a call to action because this is not just about inspiration. I want you to take some actions. Then I want you to identify three steps that you will take to create your financial stability. So three steps that you will take. And oh my goodness, I just can't believe three weeks later and this is it. But again, this is just the beginning. We're getting the conversation started. This is not the end. Join us in the pop-up group, connect with the speakers, connect with me. And thank you so much for being here. And Veronica, I don't know if there is something else you wanted to add. Thank you. Just a big thank you. It's been the honor of my career at AARP to be a part of this. So thank you very much. And thanks to everybody who signed up. And thank you to everyone who shares something they learned here in these three sessions with somebody else. Well, thank you so much. We're going to sign up tonight. Everybody, que tengas una linda noche. And we'll see you again soon. Bye.